Mount in the middle. And what a finish that is. Mason Mounts. That is extraordinary from Fikayo Tamori. Loses Callum Hudson. And oh, there it is. His first goal. For Chelsea, the teenager. A moment he will remember. Hello and welcome back to the Chelsea Sport Podcast. I'm Orlando. I'm going to be your host for today. And for this podcast, I'm joined once again by Michael Nazarian. How are you doing, mate? Been a long while. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little bit. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, great to see you again. Great to be speaking to you again. And alongside you, we've got for his Chelsea Sport Podcast debut. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Mr. Rob Lawman, how are you doing, mate? Great to have you on. Yeah, cheers, Orlando. Yeah, no, looking forward to this. Glad to finally make it to the big stage. <laughs> no it's been it's been a while coming we've been you know those who follow uh us on on our social medias will have seen some great articles from rob and um we've been talking lots in the dms uh so it's great to finally make this happen um in today's pod we're going to be touching on the leicester game just gone mainly the one in the league although we will briefly um talk about the the fa cup final and then we're going to have a look forward in the second half of the pods to the um, upcoming game on Sunday against Aston Villa. But um, just to start, guys, um, I'll come to you first, Michael. What was your experience of the game? I know yours is going to be slightly different to mine because I I was lucky enough to be able to get to the game. But you know, how did how did you uh, find that? Yeah, yeah, and you're definitely very lucky to to be present at this game. I tweeted actually after the game like. If this is, was your first game back, you know, after being locked down, I, I don't think there was a better game to come back to. So much on the line. Yeah. Um, such a crazy, just the way it played out and everything like that. Um, saw, like, a lot of, um, and, and this this kind of touches on my first point, that I felt like this game had a lot more um, intensity. There was a much higher tempo played to this game uh, compared to the cup final. That It seemed like we were definitely not as sharp, a little bit more lackluster in the, in the cup final. And I think, I don't know if it's a... Uh, poor reflection of like you know objectively i think it's true that maybe this game and the champions league final clearly take priority over the fa cup final as they are more important i think there was a quote even from tuchel himself saying that he was brought in to qualify for the champions league not win the fa cup final which you know but i think us as fans want to win that but it showed us that it's the priority so it makes sense but we all love the fa cup and think it's an important enough cup to try to win it but I don't know. Maybe maybe they just didn't care as much, or maybe it wasn't the priority as he as he said. But this game definitely had um, a lot more intensity, and I think um, part of what helped us early on was it seemed like, I, and I didn't expect this that that Leicester was kind of matching that intensity too. Um, and I I usually think that that when that happens, it it favors us because I think um, our build up is is quite strong. Uh, we we're able to play out of press pretty well. Um, we're able to work with space much better than when we don't have space. So I think historically we've seen under Tuchel that the teams that do try to press us, um, we've seen that we we do we do tend to fare a bit better um, because it makes our, even though we're wasteful with chances, even with the space, um, it makes it a lot easier to at least manufacture chances, you know, because even then, unless the, when the tempo of the game is much slower, and we saw that in this game, we've seen that in, in games previously, uh, we do struggle to create chances. So I think that was one thing about this game starting out um, was definitely very different from the cup final. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think perhaps there was also a slightly different approach from, from Leicester, not just from us, you know, there were nearly the identical starting 11s for both teams um, from the final. But as you say, it was a very different game. I mean, do you think that was for 
a particular reason though, Michael? Do you think, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, the game was completely different and there were different approaches from both sides. But do you think that was intentional or do you think it's maybe just because of, you know, how football pans out in that way? Well, I think it was intentional. Well, I don't... Intentional for sure in terms of... I think there was a natural urgency about this game. Um, we One thing I do feel like, at least in the past couple seasons, um, we do is that, you know, even last season, there was times where we had to kind of turn up to make sure we finished the job and qualify for Champions League. Um, and I think that this team has that in their ability um, to, to really turn up on the occasion when they need to. Sometimes we struggle against teams we probably shouldn't and then come out with uh, wins against City like this year. You know, we lost to Arsenal but beat City twice, you know what I mean? And and, and who knows what will happen in the cup final, even though the, the matchup will still likely not favor us. Um, but just generally, I think that side of it, um, in, a, in a contextual standpoint, I think usually that's kind of how it goes. Um, we tend to get complacent in games that don't, I don't want to say matter because I don't want to ever say something like the FA Cup final doesn't matter when you're in a cup final. You may as well try your best to win it, in my opinion. That's just my take. But when you put it in the context of Champions League and qualification and final, I can definitely understand. Um, But in terms of just the way the game played out, I think it was, like you said, some uh, somewhat the same, but but also a little bit different. I think, um, you know, we saw Reese at that right center back role as we did um, in the final. And I think that was kind of the same in the way they used him. And at first I would always think like, well, I personally would rather have Reese higher up the field because, you know, I think he's a better attacking output. But then I kind of realized as well, like what Reese provides deeper in the buildup because he is more assured on the ball than someone like Azpilicueta. And Azpilicueta does does get aggressive up there. He does make those darting runs diagonally um, where he does occupy the back line. Um, and I think Reese, man, he's slotted into that position um, in some crucial games, and he's been very assured and positionally sound, um, assured on the ball and positionally sound in defense, which um, I can't say it surprises me all too much, but I guess it's just every time he comes in and just shows his class at such a young age, I just can't help but appreciate it every single time because it is a very, very kind of new thing. It is something that shouldn't shouldn't be so come to someone so young so easily, you know? Um and I think that's kind of where our first goal, funny enough, was was conceded, though, because Aspie at this moment wasn't as high up as he usually was. And I think this is where one time um, Lester had had an effective press on us. And this was when, you know, Kovacic had lost the ball. But I think it was because Aspie wasn't occupying Thomas, um, their left wing back, the young the young guy. Um, and he was able to step up a little bit more and cover both guys. And then I believe it was Ndidi who was able to step in and, and and win the ball. And although the press was more effective, it's still uncharacteristic, I think, of someone like Kovacic to lose the ball because he's just so excellent under pressure. But given the injury concerns and fitness and this being his first game back, like coming in, I can see, you know, him being a little mistake prone. And, you know, it almost cost us because we lost, you know, we, we were only up two goals, even though we probably could have been up more. And he, you know, they made it 2-1 with like, still some time to go but I think overall like there's quite a few other things that um maybe that maybe kind of played into 
um, played into the differences between b- between the games. And I, and I think the the main thing it all stems back to is that kind of urgency and that aggression. I felt like it suits us very much so when when the other team dr- tries to match it. And, and that's one thing that caught me by surprise because I just didn't think Leicester would would care to match it. I think they would they would have played to not lose more so. I don't know if you have thoughts on that a little bit more, Rob. Yeah, well, I thought their press on both games was was a lot stronger than I thought it would be. And in the cup final, they kind of pressed us relentlessly. And I think in the league game that they started quite strong. And I think they realized quite quickly it, it wasn't sustainable for the entire game. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. They looked a lot more tired than we looked. Um, and then pressing so high, it, it just it fell into our hands a little bit. We've, we've got a team that I think has been built for the counterattack. It's been built for pace. And when you kind of when, when we actually show a bit more directness, which we showed in the second game, especially against Leicester, it, it just plays into our hands and we looked a completely different animal. So I, I was surprised, as you said, that they went for the press so early in the second game, where it was a game that it was more for them not to lose than to win. Um, mm. But say it, it certainly worked in our favour. Yeah, and I think just typically, like the, the team that has, this is very kind of reductive and simple, but the team that has the ball more is going to be the less tired because they're going to be running less, you know. So... Leicester realizing that their press wasn't sustainable early on maybe it was too late already by that point because they had already tired themselves out to a larger extent than Chelsea had done um but with that in mind I thought we absolutely peppered them particularly first half I mean Michael you mentioned there that um we probably deserved to be up by more than two goals but it was actually nil nil at half time I mean Rob we had what, two goals ruled out by VAR? Um, we should have had a penalty, shouldn't we? That one on Tielemans. It, we, we really kind of dominated in all senses of the, of the, of the word. Yeah, you, you kind of got Real Madrid vibes in that game, didn't you? We were creating chance after chance and not putting one away. And you can just imagine Tielemans going up the other end and slapping one home again. Um, it, it, I'll be lying if I said it's not a concern at this point that we're able to create chances at such frequency and not put them away. Um, but say it, it's just we look so dangerous all over the pitch. And I think it, it shows the difference just a couple of personnel changes make, say, Chilwell coming in. I, I don't actually think it was Chilwell's best game by a long stretch, but it just poses a completely different threat to having Alonso on that left. And it was, the say, the first time that I've seen us really try and get balls into the box. I mean, how much have we all been bemoaning it in the entire season where it's kind of we're getting to the byline and the player looks up, no one in there other than maybe Werner turns around and passes it backwards. Whereas this time we just tried to get it in instantly. And, and a lot of our best chances came from that. Say the kind of was Aspilicueta on the back post where he just missed the header after Werner missed it. Obviously the, the goal that got disallowed from Werner kind of from another cross as well. So it, it's something that I wish we'd do more. Um, I think we've been way too static in possession, especially in recent weeks. But yeah, it's a, a bit of a relief to come out in the second half and score immediately. That's for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that goal just, I mean... Relief sums sums it up perfectly, but I actually really thought it was handball, so I didn't celebrate to the same extent that everyone else in the stadium did because I was just kind of right behind it. Um, so to me, it looked like it hit his hand, and I was like, "Oh no, here we go again, VAR." Um, but then when when the goal was confirmed, that was you know really good scenes uh, in the stadium. But um, you mentioned him there, Rob, Timo Werner. Um, obviously, he had the two goals ruled out. Um, First one, pretty tight offside. Second one, he was just unlucky that the ball hit his arm. But despite that, he, he had an excellent game, didn't he? Yeah, and, and I feel like this has been a consistent theme throughout the season. It, it's it's quite easy to rag on Werner when you look at kind of the, the compilations of all of his misses. But I just think we're a completely different animal when he plays. The way that he is able to kind of stretch defences, 
He's not the only one with pace in our front line, but I think he's one of the only ones that really try and get in behind on a regular basis. And we've seen that kind of time and time again when he plays, he causes panic for defences. And it might not necessarily be in his finishing, but his movement and he's always, everything good that we do, there seems to be some form of Werner involvement. So for me, I think kind of moving forward to the last two games, he's one of the first names on the team sheet, which is strange to say for a striker that seems to be misfiring. But I just think he's so critical to the way that we play. But so, yeah, he should have had two penalties and probably should have had two goals as well. But he's always involved and he never stops trying. Yeah, I think one of the things that's quite funny as well about um, Werner is that it always seems like when he does score, you just know somehow it's going to be disallowed. He just turns into <laughs> prime R9 when he's offside, you know? It's just like, to be fair, that, that first goal where he was offside that Mason played him the ball was good good near post finish. And I was like, is this like the one where he actually has like a good... I, I can remember off the top of my head quite a few finishes he's had that's been like... I just The one that stands out in my head is the one against Spurs when we were playing. And I believe it was when Lampard was still um, manager man he had a crazy he went through and like whipped it in far post like from a tight angle like hit off the post and went in it was like a world-class finish and and of course it was offside you know but this is i guess before um more of the multitudes of, of of misses as well so we weren't we weren't sure that this was like a representation at the time that there was more of this to come but uh, but i think you hit the you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about channel runs um because i think him and pulisic were even though Pulisic, um, Orlando and I spoke about this, wasn't very good in my opinion. He was a problem, I think. He was making a lot of great runs and definitely occupying the back line. And I think a lot of that came from Leicester trying to match us numerically, um, or I guess in different positions trying to occupy the right players, um, and gave us that opening. They 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 tried to match our back line three for three, and then the match our pivot. And when they put the pivot and the back line that high up, that either the their back line of five had to step in and um, close down the space between the midfield and defensive line so that they didn't have room for someone like Mount to receive, which he did when they decided to not step in. Or when they did step in, you saw Reese or whoever playing a lot of a lot of balls over the top to be able to feed those channel runs. And I think that was something that was definitely, again, one of those things that we create problems with, we, we create potential opportunities with, but not we don't really make the most of it. And I'm hoping that's like really what gets ingrained and changes if we do continue forward with this kind of system. Because that's one thing, um, that's one thing that for sure is um, something that is a very blatant, obvious need for improvement. Um, and I think later on I can touch more about um, the way they tried to match us and I think why that probably wasn't the best approach. You mentioned Pulisic there. I think he had a very kind of weird game in that he he was poor in what he did, but it was to a good effect for Chelsea. So, you know, making those runs into the... Cha- you know, his runs into the channels were fantastic pretty much every time. He lost the ball every time. That didn't really matter because, you know... It's getting Chelsea up the pitch. It's um, stretching the defence. Um, you know, losing the ball, you know, creates a second ball to be contested with. So it's not always a negative thing. I mean, obviously, you can make your argument for someone like Tammy Abraham or Callum Hudson-Odoi playing there and doing better. But actually, um, it doesn't matter if your execution is... Well, it does matter, but it doesn't matter as much if your execution is off when your you kind of intention is is completely right every time. And I think that's what... We're seeing similarly also with Werner, you know, his finishing will 
improve. Um, there's five years on record of him not being a terrible finisher, or at least not to this extent. Um, and therefore, you know, him getting in the right places um, and, and getting the, the chances shows that, you know, the goals will come and it's really not much to worry about. Um, I, I would be interested to see if there's any sort of analysis on whether him being offside is anything more than a kind of thing, a variance thing, anything more than, you know, oh, he's just being more offside than often because that's the way it works. But I don't know. Is it? I don't know whether he was offside this much when he when he played for Leipzig and when he played for Stuttgart, but I think it'd be an interesting to, thing to explore, wouldn't it, Rob? He, uh, he alluded to it himself, I think. He said it's been a problem throughout his entire career, which is strange for someone with such pace. And say, kind of defensively, that, that you've got fast defences in Germany and the Premier League. I don't know if there'll be such an ad- adaptation period that would throw him off, but it, it feels... If there's something wrong with his game, I think offside is something that feels relatively easy to work on and you feel like he can remedy that quite quickly. Um, let's say that there's no need for him to be so far forward. I don't know if that's because the goals aren't coming. There's a kind of keenness to be on that last man a bit more or, or whether it's just by design and instruction. That's the risk that you take. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a consistent thing throughout his entire career, which you'd hope at age 25, we can kind of stamp out his game sooner rather than later because his threat is unparalleled if, if you can get him kind of fit and firing in the right places. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then playing, well, actually, it wasn't so much in the forward line with him. Mount played slightly deeper. It was a bit more of a midfield three with, with Werner and Pulisic as, as a front two. But Mount, in that kind of free free number eight role, he was fantastic, wasn't he, Michael, yet again? Yeah, and and, and that that's kind of the trade-off, I guess, Leicester had to decide between. So it was either play a high enough line to not allow Mount that kind of space because, I mean, I think at this point, if you've been watching Mount enough, you recognize that in those positions and receiving on the half turn, he's just one of the best players in the league to, to do that. He's he's so excellent on, uh, you know, receiving on the half turn and then driving um, with the ball. He's, again, not the quickest guy, but he's, I'm not sure if it's just technique or if it's just his kind of like body shape and low center of gravity, but it's almost like he has winger like ability. We've talked about this. Like it's almost like he's as good of a dribbler as and someone like one on one, such as someone like Pulisic or whoever, even though he doesn't have that pace. You know what I mean? And I think that a lot of it comes down to I mean, he had this one audacious attempt i think uh, i don't i don't know if you guys remember but it was coming off the right flank and i believe he put it through the legs of fafana or someone mm. and almost got it into the box to, to to play in a dangerous ball and it was just like who does that you know what i mean like who has the like who who like who do you think you are that you can do that and but he's mason mount that's why he can do that he's just he's just it's it's not just like it's it's almost like de bruyne or bruno or whoever where you you see not to like compare them necessarily stylistically or whatever but um, where you see like an assurance in their abilities and decision making, like finding a player who has the technical quality and constantly makes even audacious decisions, but is so assured in his ability and oftentimes executes them to a very high level and consistency. That's that's when you can really tell, in my opinion, that a player is just another standard. I, I see it even with Foden um, to draw another youth example. Not Again, not to compare the two. I don't want to bring up Foden versus Mount of Aids, but just where you can tell the level of quality um, of the player. And and so, yeah, it's exactly what you said there, where when they were when they were deciding to then, you know, when they were deciding, like, hold on, we need to um, kind of settle 
and stop these channel runs because we were peppering them um, with channel runs and they were becoming a problem. It allowed Mount a little bit more space um, to 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 receive in between the lines. And then I think what they did was it seemed like they decided to instead of matching uh, Jorginho and Conte in their pivot, they decided to drop them a little bit deeper. Their press got a little bit less intense. And this is where we had that period of settled possession around their box because they dropped a little bit deeper to make not only cover the channel runs but also cover then mount from receiving and that allowed our back line a little bit further up so again we had more possession around their box more settled um higher line from us being played and allowing again people like rudiger to carry into the midfield um but what resulted from that was they were just overall sitting deeper and yes maybe they were you know having to deal with and defend um, the box and maybe we weren't making all too much, but I think they also weren't able to transition as well um, because all their players were deeper and they didn't, they had, they didn't start in Nacho. And this is one of the points I wanted to mention that I think that was a mistake. So we, we talked about their, the lineups being relatively similar with maybe a few changes. I think not starting in Nacho was a mistake for Lester because I think, when you have Madison, Madison and Perez, you don't have as much of a focal point up top. And I don't think Iannaccio should have been the focal point. I think Iannaccio is someone who's really good as a withdrawn nine and Vardy someone who can occupy a back line very well. So I think if they were sitting deeper and had Iannaccio to be that outlet for transition with Vardy really threatening, that probably if they were to play a deeper block would have fared better for them in my opinion um in terms of creating transitional opportunities but i think with playing deeper and Iannaccio not being involved in the side it really hurt them and i think that trade-off that ended up happening it kind of just didn't go their way in any in any kind of scenario yeah absolutely um i want to talk about what i mentioned a few minutes ago um briefly the slight tactical tweak that Tuchel made um from the the cup final to this game which was basically playing Mason Mount slightly deeper and it was less of a front three and more of a front two um, with um, Jorginho sitting and, and Mount and Kovacic either side with Mount, you know, allowing a bit more creative license, I guess you could say. Um, Rob, do you think that was um, something that he noticed in Leicester um, from the from the cup final game? Or do you think it's more um, us improving our own game? It feels like the latter. I, I think kind of Michael hit the nail on the head when he was just um, analysing Mount there. He, he's at his absolute best when he's kind of in that space between the midfield and the attack, taking the ball on the turn and setting t- setting us up. I think uh, not that he's wasted out wide. I just don't feel like you get the full array of his strengths. Um, say moving him in the centre just made absolute perfect sense to me. He's, he's there kind of pulling the strings a bit more and he's just creating havoc and say that they kind of struggle to pick him up all game. And if, if they wanted to pick him up, then they're sacrificing one of their back three to do so. And that in turn created the space for Pulisic and Werner to run into. So I, I think it was absolutely by design um, and say it, you want to get the best out of your best players. And I think that's something that Tuchel hasn't done enough, if I'm honest with you. Um, but say getting the best out of Mount certainly benefited us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned Tuchel getting the best out of his players. Um, one player who fans have been calling to play um, in, in this position that he has done in Reese James, a right centre-back. Do you think that, well, I think most fans are in agreement that that position gets the best out of him. But do you think that 
it's going to be something that he's going to continue with going forward, Rob? Or do you think that was maybe just kind of one tweak that Tuchel made to counteract Vardy and, you know, it worked perfectly in these two games? But do you think Tuchel might say, oh, you know what, we can stick with that? Or is it just kind of for these particular game plans in these two games? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I suppose it depends on whether we stick at the three at the back. And, and I think if he does stick at the three at the back, I can't see why you wouldn't. It, it plays much more to his strength, both offensively and defensively. So I think when he kind of takes up those positions, not necessarily on the byline, but slightly deeper, receiving the ball from the right wing back, his crossing array is so much stronger. And likewise, his kind of mobility and strength in defence is, is just, I'd say, superior to Aspilicueta, even if he has, doesn't have the experience that Aspi has. I, I would play him there every every day of the week if you're going with that system. I think long term, I think we probably end up going to the four at the back and he does take his more natural spot at right back. But it, for me, if it, if it was an experiment over the past few weeks to play him there, I think it's definitely a successful one. And given the way that the right wing back's able to kick on all the time, you can, you can play a Callum there. I know it's not our favourite position, but you could probably play someone with a bit more kind of attacking array there because you know you've got the mobility and support of Reese James behind them. So, yeah, for me, it feels like a no-brainer and, and I'll be surprised if we don't see it more if we stick with this system. Yeah, and I actually have um, some thoughts on that as well. And I, I completely agree with you, Rob. I think um, I think maybe he for this game, he may have assumed... Um, Iheanacho and Vardy were going to start like they did in the cup final, which is maybe why he stuck with it. Uh, but that's just my opinion on it right now. But overall, I do think down the line, um, I'm not sure because we haven't seen enough of it with Reese and ha- like how much he would have to stick with as Pierre right wing back because I do think we can do better there. I don't know if that necessarily means Cal goes there because I just do think, um, I do think, SP does not provide the same kind of thing that someone like Cal or Reese does when they're in the right wing back, even though he does he does help with additional defensive cover probably um probably as much, if not more. Um, but I do agree with Rob where I see it more as like a tactical flexibility. If we're playing a team that sits deeper, funny enough, I'd actually prefer we play Reese at right center back because one of the biggest themes we've seen in this system is the 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 wide center backs being able to carry into the midfield and take space. And I think from that right half space in deeper positions, Reese being able to play balls in there or or just having the, that kind of outlet or even taking a long shot inverted is a big um is a big threat and something teams will have to check. I think if we play um a lower block or sorry against uh sorry a more intense pressing team, um I do think um Reese being higher up um to, to try to exploit the back line of a team is better than Aspie, in my opinion. That like I think we saw that against City. That chest touch he took and turned on Mendy. I mean, he was he was occupying Mendy that entire game. And I think uh, you know, Pep Guardiola's reaction to every single time um Reese was one-on-one with Mendy said it all in terms of how much of a threat he was. Um so I think in those situations, I'd probably have Reese at right wing back. Um, but at the same time, like I think Cal needs to be playing, and if the only way he's playing is right wing back, because I don't know why Tuchel doesn't right now trust him as one of the tens, then I think you could even do Reese right center back down the line. This isn't right now, but Reese right center back and Cal right wing back. If we're playing against the team like Crystal Palace, that's going to be playing a low block and trying to slow down our tempo, and um, and 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 we we have the cover 
and defensive ability to kind of deal with their transitions because um, maybe the quality in their side or something, or it's like a lower quality team compared to, a, you know, a team like Atletico Madrid that plays a low block, but can really hurt you on the counter, you know, comparatively um, more so than, than a team like Crystal Palace, for example. So I think it, it, it really depends, but I do agree with Rob as well, where um, if we go back four, I mean, you know, He's definitely not playing a center-back role. He has to be playing, you know, right back. I don't think there's a better guy on our team to be playing that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And as you say, I guess it does just depend on whether we stick stick with the back three. I, I'm, I'm not as sure as I was um, a few months ago that we would st- that we would change to a back four next season. I think he may be encouraged to stick with a back three considering the success that we've had um especially given time you know in preseason so i guess coach more attacking patterns and, and stuff like that um but you know we do know for sure that he's going to be sticking with the back three at least for for these final two games in the season um and for the next one upcoming on on sunday afternoon uk time against aston villa um there are lots of personnel selection choices for Tuchel to make um, this game you know there has there will have been um, five days since the last game so no need to rest anyone as such also given the fact that there's another six days before the Champions League final which you know both of those gaps are are more than Chelsea are typically used to to recover Um, but you know N'Golo Kante he came off you know we know he's not actually injured but he was close to being injured and that's the reason he came off so you know do you risk playing him in, in such a well it is really a must-win game or at least I think maybe we can we can get top four if we draw but you know we don't want it to be out of our hands right so it's basically a must-win game to, to secure top four on the final day um, do you risk playing Kante and then risk an injury for the Champions League final um, you know do you stick with Reese at right centre-back um, you know, in, in the midfield, you've got Jorginho, you've got Kovacic, who's just come back in. He wasn't excellent by any stretch of the imagination against Leicester. You know, do you give him more time to become more match fit? Because, you know, you want all three centre midfielders who are going to be in with a chance to, to play the Champions League final. They're all going to be going to want to be kind of on the level playing field for Tuchel making that decision because he, he could easily just go, oh, you know what, Kovacic isn't really fit yet, so I'm just going to go with Kante and Jorginho. I don't think that's necessarily how sh- how he should be approaching it. I mean, Rob, do you think changes are required for this game? He could be giving Chilwell, Rudiger a rest. Is that, is that needed? I don't think so. If I'm honest with you, I'm probably more nervous about this game than the cup final based on how our squad normally operates say kind of after a big win I think we're, we're quite prone to taking our foot off the gas when we play what is a perceptibly a lesser opposition I, I'd go full str- well, basically the team that played against Leicester minus Kante I, I don't think it's worth the risk with Kante especially if you're talking a hamstring injury but for me I'd kind of go full strength play for 60 minutes and if you've got a lead then you can start looking to rest players but say it, it's a while off of the Champions League and it's probably more important to maybe get minutes in the likes of Kovacic and then hopefully get some form in the likes of Werner going into that game because I think you say if we make wholesale changes we, we not only could sacrifice top four but I think we could probably lose a bit of momentum going into that final which is the worst thing we could possibly do in this situation yeah no I agree I think there are a few players who might want to rest I just think basically the the main one is Rudiger because I just think he's played so much football recently and you know there are players who can come in for him I think 
you know, Chilwell, he doesn't need a rest because he, he didn't start in the cup final. You've got, you can't rest Mount because he, he's just our best player really at the moment. Um, you can, you know, the front three, you can bring in Ziyech, you can, um, could potentially bring in Hudson-Odoi, although I don't think that'll happen. I mean, what would you do, Michael? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, but for me, the, I know th- in reality, it would it would maybe even be smarter to say, well, our most realistic chances of qualifying for the Champions League are just killing off this game, and it's more likely we win this game than the final. But it's the Champions League final. It's I know we are the underdogs, and I know that the odds are against us in that sense. But um, like both games, really, really, really are at this point kind of just as important when you put it in context because we. We won't if we don't if we don't take away a win in this game, then we have to win the Champions League final to qualify. And I think it'll be a big blow to us um, to not qualify for the Champions League um, for next season in terms of attracting the kind of players at least we've been um, we've been linked with. I but one thing I will say is I would rest Conte because I see no reason that Kova. I mean, Kova is like you know injury concerns is is one thing. So I don't know the details about that. I don't know how fit he is or isn't. He came on for 60 minutes, and yeah, apart from a few mistakes, he was overall fine, I think. Um, you know, it wasn't the best, but, like, you can't really expect, you can't blame him all too much. But I do think um, Kova and Jorginho should be able to get the job done. They really should. And we could probably even rest up players and and get the job done anyway, but... Uh, I do think you don't take that risk. You have to play your best lineup as much as you can. The only thing is maybe, maybe Conte, yeah, because it, it, having him in the Champions League final as healthy as possible would, especially against a team like City, would be huge. I would play Chilwell. I would play, um, you know, anyone that Tuchel was, thinks is part of his best 11, I would play all those guys. Would um, you play Silva? And- Thiago Silva, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I don't. What's is Christensen still? What's on with? Yeah. What's on, is he still I don't hurt? think anyone knows. <laughs> basically. Yeah, it seems like there's been little Tuchel information been on that. Yeah, I mean, Christensen was excellent when he came and filled in, but if he's still hurt, which maybe it seems like he is, because I do think um, he's not like falling out of favor. I think uh, I think Tuchel really liked Christensen. Um, if it's possible, maybe, but I think at the end of the day, you just play it safe. You keep the momentum going. Um, I think people like Chilwell have to play. I think Mount has to play. Um, I do think Kova and Conte, I'm sorry, Kova and Jorginho are really should be good enough. Like I understand it's Aston Villa and I understand they are good, but I also do recognize the depth and quality we have in our team as well. I do think for the first time in a long time, we have like a, like an absurd squad. And I do get that there is a congested schedule or whatever, but if the players don't have the urgency at this point, to to really come and finish off the job and and they do take their foot off the gas a little bit I it just think that's so disappointing and I think a lot more needs to be introspectively looked at than in this club um, I think though last season I mean with under Lampard with younger players with less experience we got the job done against Wolves two nil or whatever it was when we needed to win that game just to you know make sure we secure Champions League final I don't see this this matchup or this year being any different it shouldn't be any different if anything it should be easier um in that sense at least to mentally put yourself in the right frame frame of mind um so that's the way i see it i see i see you put out what you think will really like the best people to get the job done and you really instill that idea with him and i think tuchel has that mindset where he said 
none of this matters. Shut up and be ready for Aston Villa. I'm not celebrating because Leicester was only step one of the of the of the you know of the Champions League qualification. You know, this is the last step. That's it. I think that I mean, was really telling. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I think it's really telling for Tuchel as well that he really stressed that in his post-match interview just kept saying over and over again say like the job's not done the job's not done and I think that kind of links back to the point that I was making that we're super prone in games like this to take our foot off the gas I think Leicester was the, the the really big hurdle by no means is Villa an easy game but when you kind of overcome that one I think say the the fear of dropping off is huge and if you make changes to your squad I think you kind of support that mindset so just say just go in strong get get the points and then say 30 minutes left and you, you're 3-0 up, 2-0 up, great. Make some changes then and rest the players. But the, the cup final is still nine days off. I, I don't see a need to rest anyone. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I am still saying play Billy Gilmore because, you know, you, you never know. Jorginho, he really needs a rest, I'm sure. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, there's there's one thing I've just realised that we forgot to mention from the Leicester game. And I can't re- really believe that I allowed us to go on without without talking about it. And that's that magnificent brawl that that we saw. I mean, Daniel Amati v Chelsea, Chelsea and Co. You know, that, that, that was brilliant, wasn't it, Rob? Uh, it was a brilliant moment where you saw Silva trying to defuse this, the, like defuse everyone battling. Saw Amati and went straight for him with the aggression that he was trying to stop everyone <laughs> from showing. So, I think same with Mount. But say, I, I think it's good to see that say it, a little bit of camaraderie in the squad. I think we've kind of been so guilty of just being a little bit kind of weak in those moments. Um, I think when you've got kind of Rudiger and Zuma leading the charge, it's say it's, it, it's good to see, and it was good to see that intensity. I think that they took that defeat personally which I think a lot of us, when we saw kind of the Aspilicueta interview post the game, it, it all felt a little bit kind of casual, that loss. So, um, yeah, good to see a bit of emotion in the squad. And I think kind of good momentum to take into the Champions League final for sure. And I think the other part of that brawl that I loved was Edouard Mendy just coming in about taking out about three Leicester players at once. I mean, Michael, what is there not to love about that man? Oh, oh my God. This guy is absolutely amazing. At this point, I'm really not even thinking we need another keeper like well firstly in terms of his role in the fight like when edward mendy gets between you and puts his arms on either side you are already about 25 feet across from each other because his wingspan is just absolutely absurd um but no i absolutely love him and i think this game especially we've talked about this quite a few times but his distribution is completely underrated i think um people overlook it so easily there were talks about him you know maybe not being good with the ball at his feet. And I don't know if it's just, uh, I didn't watch him at, at, at Ren, so I, I have, you know, no uh, insight on his historical ability and if he's just improved or whatever, but it doesn't really matter. He's an absolute beast at it. He's very composed, very accurate passes. And it's not just that. Oftentimes, like when keepers play out the back, they do play long balls still that are just accurate. But I think what's so impressive is when a keeper can play like a nicely driven ball on the ground, um, even if it's just, you know, not 30, 40 yards up the field, but 20 yards up, 20 yards up the field to one of the center backs that's gotten into a good position and evade the front line press of the other team. And he did that on numerous occasions. And I'm sorry, like I've never seen Keppa have such a consistent record with his feet. Like, I don't even, I've just heard Keppa was good with his feet and saw him and I was like, yeah, okay, he's better than Courtois from what we had seen previously. But I'm I, right now I can't see where Mendy's game is really lacking. Like, he's just 
exceeded all expectations for me. I see no reason for us to really even prioritize the keeper for this summer. Maybe long-term, yes. Maybe if, uh, you know, Donnarumma's free, and, but even with the agent fees. He's not free. Right, exactly. It's not <laughs> free. Free is not free. Raiola yeah. is your your agent. And also, they're going to use that as leverage and saying, well, listen, you didn't have to pay a fee, so pay us a little bit more. And I don't know if you want all the things that come with that. I guess it depends how all that maybe you get interested in it for sure but you, you see how all that plays out really but I absolutely love Mendy I think he's a amazing keeper and I just I'm still to this day can't get over that save against Benzema because he could not see that shot when Benzema had that turn and then long like long shot that was going into the bottom like that's a goal that that is a goal I know the xg wise is not a goal but he hit that and that is a goal and he just speed size everything anticipation he was just able to save that. And that would have completely changed that Champions League semifinal if he did not make that save. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, yeah, Edu Mendy is one of my favorite players at the moment in, in world football, not just for Chelsea. I mean, I was lucky enough to see one of my one of my favorite moments of the night. It wasn't even during the game. It was after the game. Everyone had left the, the field and um, Mendy brought his... I didn't even know he had kids, but he has these two kids, maybe about like three and six or something and they were dressed up in identical identical wear and he brought them onto the pitch and they were just having a kick about and you know one of his kids dribbled all the way to the to the Matthew Harding end and everyone who was left in the stadium let out a big cheer when he scored and then they were the two kids were taking shots against each other and it was just so wholesome there was absolutely no one left on the pitch just just Mendy and his two kids and that was a lovely moment um but yeah, I mean, that whole defensive unit, really, Mendy, he's got the three ahead of him. It seems to be, Rob, that the the defensive solidity doesn't really change depending on the personnel, you know. We, we do make changes um, game to game, but do you think... Do you think that it really matters who we select in, in that back three? I don't think it does in terms of defensive solidity. I think on the ball, we the, the dynamic changes depending on who we pick. But I'd say it's nail on the head there. It seems no matter who's in those back three, and as long as Mendy's in goal, we just look a lot better for it. We look so con- incredibly consistent. So the, the, the issues for me stem when it's kind of we start to play about with the full back, or wing backs rather, sorry, um, and the midfield personnel changes, and then the kind of the, the movement of the ball becomes quite awkward. But I can't remember maybe Conte or maybe just before that. I've never felt so confident in the Chelsea side that we wouldn't concede. Even in the Leicester game, I know we did concede, but that was more down to personal error. It just it never felt like we were going to. And kind of the two Madrid performances as well. It's I'm surprised that Tuchel's managed to get a squad that looks so defensively exposed under Lampard to be so solid. And I, I don't know where we typically concede from moving forward, as long as we kind of keep this consistent um, consistent pattern that we've got. Yeah, I completely agree, and that that's basically the main reason why I'm not so sure whether Tuchel will switch to to a back four uh, next season now. Because really, I think this sounds stupid, and I'm gonna have to expand on it after I say it. But I think scoring goals is a little overrated in football. I think if you can prevent goals from being scored against you, that's much more valuable than being able to score lots of goals. Um, and, you know, if you have, you know, one of the strongest defensive units in world football, you know, you can go into any game knowing that you have a strong chance of winning because you only need to score one goal. Um, and, you know, when you can outscore every team and you can say, yeah, 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 I can score this many goals. What happens if you just have a dodgy finishing day? Right. So I think actually 
being really defensively solid is probably more valuable to a football team than being excellent going forward. And, you know, when we're already this defensively solid, just however many, I don't know, what is it, four or five months into Tuchel's reign, if he can then coach the attacking patterns and then improve us going forward, you know, I don't see many reasons why we would need to move away from, from this shape, Michael. Yeah, and... um I I don't want to I I don't mean to kind of like say uh, bring up the stats, um, but no, go ahead. No, but it might contradict what you say. Um, That's but fine. Shout out the the zonal marking podcast, and I think this was like an older one too. Um, but you know, there's obviously much more context to this. This is just the one stat line that just popped in my head. Um, when when you were talking about it, I actually think because there is this idea that defense wins championship is like a slogan whatever that's like the best defense wins or having the best defense you know is how you win things and things like that but um i believe it was tom werbel who brought who 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 did like research on this and turns out historically and maybe this is premier league numbers again i don't remember the exact um context of all this i but i want to say it was premier league winners the best statistical defense so i think most clean sheets um won the league uh, historically, 36% of the time or something like that. Not just whatever it was, the number was lower. And I think the best attack had won 60% of the time or so. So mm. it seemed like attack value was higher than defense value. But I'm not exactly like I'm kind of with you where I think I think it's a little different in the modern game. I think more and more and more. And it, it sounds dumb like this saying that defense is very much so a team responsibility because it seems kind of obvious at this point but i really don't think it used to be as emphasized as much of a team responsibility as previously i think it's changed it's progressed and evolved over time um slowly but i think um it's really i think it's just that because how slowly and incrementally it's evolved um it's seemed um more like less obvious to us in terms of that progression but i do think um more so because there's more of um involvement now on both sides that even fullbacks traditional defenders previously are now part of the attack and very important to attack um and say, likewise you know forwards are very important to the press and, and 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 you know luring either winning the ball back in dangerous areas to create chances or luring um the opposition into pressing traps to win the ball back in certain areas that you've kind of like thought for further or planned to manipulate their shape in things like that like i think more so you're seeing an emphasis on structure and, and and with structure comes both the ability to break down and both the ability to stay robust and solid as a unit um and i think that's the biggest thing that tukul has done and this kind of is a granular point of a, a general theme i wanted to talk about but i'll just get to the to the point more so is that one thing I've noticed for sure in our team, and I think is such a key factor, is how comfortable. Because, sorry, let me take a step back. We see, we see, for example, in Leicester, the guys mount dropping deep, or we get to play a ball over the top. It's a trade-off. Now, how come that doesn't happen to us as well? Now, if you use the Real Madrid example, the Real Madrid game, as a good example to see what they did, they tried to play between the lines to carry the ball. But what did we do? Oftentimes, we had our wide center backs step in or our pivot players step in aggressively, and they've just been excellent at it. They've they've been so either fouling and not getting beat, or they've been winning the ball back. Um, they've our, our midfield pivot 
and our wide center backs and defensive line, when they do step in, have been very, very, very good at it. And it's been probably one of the most important things to our defensive structure, because when you do play that kind of structure, you that, that is the trade-off. You either have to give up space between the lines or give up space. We're covering the width with five. But you either have to give up the space between the lines then or behind your line if you're playing aggressively. Um, you know, if we're not playing aggressively, then you give up the space between the lines. But when you do give that space between the lines to cover the space in behind, those guys need to do a good job in 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 um in in closing down and winning the ball back. And I don't know if that's this is I think a huge part of Tuchel's success and why it's happened so quickly. And whether that's him being an excellent coach and system or personnel that we had in the team fitting that style very well. Um, I can't say one or the other is more. I think it's both uh, personally. I do think and that's why it's not a coincidence. I think players like Rudiger, Aspi, Christensen, those guys have, and even Jorginho and stuff have all thrived under, under Tuchel um, in this kind of system. I think it all kind of plays into each other and goes full circle. I think a lot of it is quite, fundamental like the difference between attacking shape and defensive shape and you know closing the space when you lose the ball because you know you mentioned there the pivot players kind of being so effective in in winning the ball back when when spaces open up but actually once those spaces open up those spaces become closed very quickly because the the players are aware and that's what enables those pivot players to, to win the ball back because you know the the player who picks up the the opposition player who picks up the ball doesn't really have anywhere to go they don't have much space to work with because once the space has appeared it's immediately closed um and that's what enables us to win the ball back and i think it's very clear that Tuchel's instilled in the players very well the difference between when you lose the ball and when you win the ball, you know, we've seen him often talk about uh, the counter press and, you know, having recoveries in the final third and that sort of thing. But it's also, um, it's not just about winning the ball back. It's about um, kind of limiting the space in order to then win the ball back or to force the, the opponent to go backwards. Um, and, you know, counter pressing isn't always necessarily about immediately winning a ball recovery but there, there are other options and you can you know force the opponent to retreat or just kind of force a mistake and that sort of thing so I think Tuchel's done done really well um, and, and as I say once you know he's instilled those fundamentals already so well in such little time I don't see any reason why he he would kind of build a whole new system um, unless I don't know Rob do you think there's a cap on how good this team can be offensively with only those uh, three attackers, you know, even if they are coached very well. Yeah, I, I think the concern for me is that it works really well in games where it's suited. So that the big games, it feels like the perfect system. It's say we we can limit the attacking, um, sorry, the opposition's attacking options, um, and hit them with pace. It's it's when we come up against lower blocks, we look a little bit unstuck. And I've seen it with Tuchel already. We make a few changes here and there, but it doesn't seem to make much impact. I think that's largely down to the limitations in the squad. I think what what Tuchel's done super well is kind of see kind of player strengths and really play to them and. It might not be my preferred choice. I think you look at the likes of Rudiger and Christensen, he's got the best out of them whilst perhaps not getting the best out of the attacking options. But what it's done is make us super, uh, super strong at the back. I think what we're then going to struggle with is how do we kick onto that next gear to become a kind of consistent attacking output? And I don't think we can really do it in this current setup. And I think 
then limitations in the squad typically at holding midfield probably we can't move to a back four either so I think it'll be really interesting to see what we do in the summer in terms of if we can get a, a, a proper holding mid in I think then we can start to expand out but say so he's, he's done a great job of going here's the tools at my disposal here's how I can set them up perfectly and it's, it's made us super hard to beat but I say I'd have concerns over how we then kick on to the next gear because we, we've seen it already under Tuchel it's if a team does sits back against us we then struggle to break them down and I'd say I, I don't see the system ever really kind of accounting for that and, and making it easy to score against teams. Yeah, I completely agree. I think also a big factor of it is that potentially our our two most creative players um, in, in Hakim Ziyech and, and Callum Hudson-Odoi haven't really found a role in, in the attack. I mean, I, I've spoken at length on this pod before about how I don't think Ziyech really fits into this shape. And then obviously Hudson-Odoi just hasn't really got into the team. And when he's at right wing back, obviously he can still play well, but he's not really kind of getting the, the most out of his abilities, particularly kind of creatively. Um, so potentially if if Tuchel can find a way to integrate those two players better then then we might have have more of a chance uh, of being better offensively in the same shape but for me yeah I think against those smaller teams I, I completely agree with you Rob well not necessarily smaller teams because a you know so a team like I don't know Man United they do like to sit back um, against uh, other other teams of the same level so you know you want to go with um, yeah, we're basically more foul, sorry, more firepower, and also more goals from midfield. You know, our, our midfield two are never ever going to get into the box, and that's fine. But maybe you want to have, um, you know, one midfielder who's never going to get into the box, and two who are. Um, and as you say, Rob, I, I think that's not going to really be achieved until we bring in a proper holder. Um, but I think that is quite likely to happen this summer, or, or I hope so anyway. Right, Michael. Right, yeah, no, definitely. I definitely think um, a proper number six or whatever to, to at least um, not try to shoehorn Conte into every single kind of role there possibly is in the midfield might also be healthy for him. Um, and uh, and I, I completely agree kind of on, on all, all the different counts. Um, and it, this was kind of the, the theme that this all kind of funneled into where um, a few different pieces play into this, right? So you were saying, you know, we struggle – to create chances and that's down to the system for sure um at least in part but then there's also the part where some personnel just don't fit into this kind of system and whether we're going to stick with it and i think that's that's kind of like the interesting part about this and th this also raises some questions for for the aston villa game i've felt and one thing i have not understood is that i feel like there is a pretty clear favored approach in terms of how to play against us and uh, and I think that is to try to slow down our tempo and play deeper not allow much space between lines and behind um now not a lot of these teams that we've played apart from like Atletico Madrid for example or whoever um or or you know teams like a Crystal Palace or Burnley don't necessarily um don't necessarily kind of, uh, you know, the higher pressing teams don't necessarily, that's not their competency as a team. That's not the way they play philosophically or view the game or whatever it is. So I understand they're not playing to their strengths in that way, but I do think that's the best approach. Now, when you play against teams like Burnley and, and Crystal Palace and you throw in guys like Cal at right wing back or whatever, I do think we have the quality enough in the team to break down those kinds of blocks. Um, 
and and create well enough even to win those games as as we did. But then when you play against a team like Atletico Madrid in the first leg, you saw that as much as we had settled possession, we didn't create all too much until we scored a, a wonder goal. And and against Leicester, you know, in the in the in the cup final, we didn't create all too much until we threw on like so many people chasing the game as well. And even then at the end of it, it was maybe deserving of one goal, maybe. Um, so I think it's a it's a it's a really good point. Like I think teams are trying to match us numerically as their approach, the ones that um the ones that don't want to sit deep. And I don't know how much that really changes all too much. At least it hasn't shown to to change all too much. I do think the best way is that since we are so wasteful with chances and already struggle to create chances when when facing a low block that that's the best way to approach us um i don't know if a team like um aston villa because i don't think they play exact they don't play like a low block all, all, like that um like a team like burnley or or, or or crystal palace um i do wonder how they will approach us but i think you're right that in the future i think um depending on how we want to change the system the personnel um needs to be there um, to allow us the flexibility to do so. And I think the key part to all that is a number six. And a number six doesn't just improve someone who's able to be an outlet in the buildup um, and, you know, good to progress the ball, but also able to screen in front of the defense effectively and, and be a physical presence. But it's also that he allows, because he's able to take up that role effectively and he fits, fits that kind of niche that's really missing, I think, in our team, he allows more parts of the game in other um, phases to open up and create more. And I think that would allow us to maybe change system a little bit or at least maybe even keep the same system and like maybe structure ourselves a little bit differently in attack where it might suit the likes of people like Ziyech and, and, and um, Hudson-Odoi. Because I think when Ziyech particularly came on and did well, um, you know, because he has had a, a couple or at least a few good games it's when um the game's kind of played out in his favor where he's ha been able to either get wide with some space um and have support or he's just had space even in the center of the field and stuff i i don't see him someone who's you know very effective constantly under pressure like someone mason mount i think mason mount is um, more ideal for something of that sort so i think you either have to get the personnel to change the system and structure from the get-go or keep the same and make some tweaks to allow it to play if you're going to play someone like Ziyech, um play to his strengths a little bit more yeah i completely agree and i think yeah that's not something we'll necessarily see happen this season but i think pre-season will be very very interesting um to see what tuchel um intends to do um and you know often in pre-season managers experiment with ideas and, and then don't often don't end up using them so it'll be interesting to see what what Tuchel has in mind you know just to experiment with um i think we're going to wrap up the pod there i don't know if you have any final words rob it's been great having you on no uh, thanks for inviting me really enjoyed it great and and thanks again to you as well michael that was brilliant yeah no appreciate it always enjoy uh, getting on the pod when i can all right um and with that said yeah all that's left to say is uh please do make sure to check us out on our social media platforms at the chelsea spot on both twitter and instagram and the chelsea spot.com uh for our website with some some great articles up on there from from both two of today's uh podcasts um with that all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening and we shall see you next time